Hello, welcome back to 1874, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Joined as ever by the Aston Villa writer, Greg Evans. Greg, international break, often a quiet time for Villa, but actually quite a few players involved or, or not involved, as we'll come on to in a minute. But it seems like there's plenty to talk about off the back of it. Yeah, hi Dan, have you uh, calmed down from the 7-2 victory yet, most importantly? Yeah, I was very, very happy after, after the 7-2, obviously, Greg, but then a little bit upset with the, the old England thing last night, which which we'll come on to. But yeah, obviously 7-2 is going to live long long in the memory and I've got good vibes going into Sunday. I fancy us on Sunday now, but what about you? Uh, yeah, it still feels weird. Every time I look at the, the scoreline, it, it never gets normal, really. It just feels like just an incredible scoreline. And one, as you say, that we'll be talking about from for years to come. But yeah, I, I feel quite confident as well going into to uh, to Sunday. I feel like Villa can go there and... and um, and really show what they're made of and, and hopefully make up for that disastrous 4-0 defeat last time out at, at King Power Stadium. So, But we'll see, yeah. And, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, the the uh, the internationals, there's been a been a lot of talk around Jack Grealish, hasn't there, this week? Yeah. And, and, and rightly so. And um, I suppose just first, maybe have a quick look at some of the others. John, John McGinn, a very proud moment for him, Captain Scotland. Um, there's the... Uh, where it started and where it is now trend going around Twitter, isn't it? Yeah. And there was a, there was a lovely picture from again of of him very you know very small little kid, looked about seven or eight years old for St Mirren uh, at the time of obviously where it started and and where it is now, captain of Scotland. So incredible for him. Uh, I think Conor Horahan played every minute for Ireland, didn't he? All, yeah, he uh, did. Yeah, and results didn't really go in their favour, but good for him to get some games and 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 obviously Douglas Luiz over in in Brazil as well. I mean, incredible, really, isn't it that that Villa have got a Brazilian international? He's <laughs> something that you kind of that we've kind of forgot because the first ever Brazilian to play for Villa. Eggs on our faces as well, Greg. For the early eighteen seventy four podcast, we we really weren't having Douglas Luiz at all, were we? But <laughs> after when the football came back in lockdown, he was absolutely superb, and we've obviously credited him since then. But yeah, to be the, the starting central midfielder, the, the number eight for Brazil, that's a, a mammoth achievement and a good thing for him and a great thing for Aston. Villa as well signing that's actually ended up working out really really well although now I'm, I'm worried about what's going to happen at the end of the season with that old Man City buyback clause yeah, it's something obviously that's still um, a bit of an issue, isn't it? A bit of a worry, but you know, there's no interest for Man City at the moment. So pretty confident that Villa can at least enjoy the season with Douglas Luiz, and you know, let's see, let's see where that takes them. If 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 Villa can continue in, in the rich vein of form that they are, then you might not want to leave. <laughs> you might not want to yeah. leave in the end. So um, it's something we uh, we'll obviously keep our eyes on and and update as and when we can. But for now, he's a Villa player and and, and will be for the foreseeable future. For a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of Greg's articles on the Villa, including his pieces this week on Ollie Watkins and the Villa fan who nearly bought the club. We'll be discussing those stories briefly later in the show. Just go to theathletic.com slash villapod to sign up. That's theathletic.com slash villapod and sign up for just £1 a month. The biggest talking point for Villa on the international scene, as always, it's, it's always Jack Grealish. He, he's box office, isn't he? Everyone's talking about him. The whole country's talking about him now because really it just, just makes absolutely no sense that you get man of the match one game, then you don't you don't see him again for two games, in it, especially a game like last night, albeit England were down to 10. They needed an injection of someone like Jack Grealish. There just seems to be a stubbornness and a, an unwillingness to use him, doesn't there, Greg? Yeah, it's really quite strange, actually. Um, you know, 
there's been sort of the conspiracy theories that that, that Southgate doesn't like uh, Grealish and that's been going on for some time now, you know, what, when he wouldn't get into the squad. But it just keeps continuing, continually feeling like there's more to it, doesn't there? Because... You know, we we've seen how well how well Jack Grealish has played. You know, the both of us are slightly biased. We think he's brilliant. We'd always have him in the England team, but sure. the rest of the country feel that way too. You know, it's not just us two talking on a podcast saying that Jack Grealish should be playing for England. The rest of the country are saying it, and just can't seem to see why Southgate doesn't want to play. Um, it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. There's no other way to to describe it. You know, that's not me being dramatic. It's just. It's just crazy. I can't seem to get my head around it. Um, I thought the Denmark game would be the perfect game to start him. Um, as you mentioned, Dan, yeah, you know, man of the match, rightly so, um, against Wales. And okay, I could, can half understand why he didn't play against Belgium. You know, maybe, maybe Southgate wanted to mix it up um, and give some other players a try. I totally understand that, but I don't understand why he didn't play against Denmark last night. There, there was just no. There's no there's no there's no reasonable answer for it. Uh, I suppose the only one benefit is that he's fit and fresh for Villa. But you know Jack Grealish will will back himself to be fit and fresh for Villa, even if he'd played all three games. So um, it's no yeah. consolation for him. Um, you know I think he still had a good time that down with England. Um, you know for the week it was it was good for him to mix with the you know the cream of the crop of in the elite um, players in the country. Uh, you know, it's good for him, good for his development still. And, uh, but, you know, he'll, he'll be coming back disappointed, really. And I think the one team, you know, the one the, the, the one group of people that it's going to affect the most are going to be the Leicester City players because he's going to have a really real point to prove on Sunday. Yeah, I think Jack's at his best as well when he when he has got a point to prove. I think he'll he'll be working day and night now to, to get Southgate on side. Because the clamour now is, na- is nationwide, like you say. It's not just Villa fans. It's not just people on Villa podcast crying out for it. It's it's a nationwide thing. And Southgate almost seems uncomfortable when, when he's asked about it. I don't know whether it's it's annoying him. And the more he's asked, the, the more he's not going to select him. That, that seems quite childish. And I, I don't think for one minute that's something that, that Southgate would be like. But do you know what I mean? He's just... Calvert-Lewin's come on and played played left wing last night. Now, Southgate's been very regimented about Jack can't play centrally for England. He plays on the left for his club, so he's, he's in the England squad as a forward. He doesn't want to play people out of position. And he pulls Calvert-Lewin on and, and plays him left midfield when the game is crying out for Jack Grealish. He talks about trying to, trying to make the most of set pieces when you're down to 10 men. You've got a player on the bench there that wins more fouls than anyone in world football. Why wouldn't you bring him up? As I say, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, to me, it's a bit of a piss take, to be honest. And it's almost making a mockery out of Grealish because he's been given his chance to to shine against Wales. He did that, um, and then he goes and plays a centre forward on in his position. It, it makes absolutely no sense, um, and. I, just, I can't get my head around it as I keep saying but um, I've just got no reasonable answer for it you know nah. I, I wish I could like I wish I could say something to to um, to try and to try and just you know generate some sort of debate here or to to give uh, Gareth Southgate the benefit of the doubt but I just I just can't you know I genuinely cannot understand why why Grealish didn't even feature let alone start it's just a <laughs> just, just, there's no answers to it, Dan. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just turning around in circles here because I can't think of anything to say. This maybe is going to require some investigative journalism from yourself. <laughs> Mason Mount's obviously someone who's coming under fire 
by sections of the Villa fans on, on social media. I mean, it's very, very harsh because it's not Mason Mount's fault. Mason Mount's a completely different player to Jack. He's a very, very good player as well. He's got different traits. But Southgate's talking up the work right aspect of, of Mason Mount as if Jack's a luxury player who doesn't work hard. Now, I've, I've took a look at the stats before I've come on. And for forward players, Jack's defensive stats are second behind Richarlison. And Jack's played a game, a game less. So you imagine if the games catch up, he'd be ahead of Richarlison. So even that aspect, it just nothing makes sense. Do you think it's a bit lazy that people look at a reason for Jack not playing as to, to be work right because he's this this flash footballer who's devastating going forward? Do you think his defensive side of his game gets overlooked? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, so, so many things to say on the back of that. First of all, it seems like Southgate's always constantly making excuses. It's always, well, Jack Grealish was playing in the Championship first. Then yep. Jack Grealish has played against this level of opponent. He needs to play against another level of opponent before it gets chosen. Now it's his work rate. I mean, if anybody had watched, if Southgate had watched, and surely he would have, he'd have gone through all the clips of, of, of Grealish at the back end of last season. Um, when... He was putting his body on the line to 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 uh, make interceptions and track track runners. Um, the Arsenal game, I think it was, springs to mind. I mean, okay, you, you can't just single out one game, but the Arsenal game, it was fantastic at, at yeah, home. Agreed. Um, as well as having that attacking enterprise, he was doing so much defensively, so much to cut out Arsenal, and um, you, you, you can't take that defensive side away from him because he does really battle and real, really try hard to protect the team and support the team um, and give that extra layer of stability, um, uh, security. Sorry, but Mason Mount, as you say, is a different player. I feel a little bit sorry for him that you know the criticism that he's come under purely because I, I actually think Mason Mount. Um, you know, you know, a very capable player. I, I don't think he's uh, dominated as many games as as Jack Grealish has over recent Great. years. Certainly not what I've seen anyway. Um, and but he is a slightly different player. He probably does press a little bit quicker, a little bit faster, a little bit more efficiently. Um, and maybe Southgate is just seen that and been slightly blinded by it. Grealish isn't a player that's going to be charging down the the the, the, the centre halves and the goalkeeper all the time. But what he will do is he'll track the he'll track the fullbacks and he'll make crucial interceptions and and, and he'll block off lines. And I, I just feel like his his hard work's getting getting um you know unnoticed. It's uh it, it's a little bit hard to be honest. I feel like Southgate's looking at looking at club form and the way Villa are set up, but Villa are set up in a different way to England. So Jack does what he's instructed to do, if that makes sense. So surely if Southgate's going to give Jack the same instructions he gives Mason Mount, Jack's going to do exactly the same in, in that pressing game? Or am I being naive in thinking that? I mean, yeah, look, Jack will do exactly what he's asked to do. Um, whether Mason Mount can press a little bit quicker than Jack, you know, I, I, you know, I'd have to probably study their games a lot harder. Do you know what I mean? I'm, Mason's probably a little bit quicker than Jack, isn't he, off the mark, you would have thought. Um, I don't know, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I, I don't know. But cl clearly Southgate's seen something in Mount that he likes. Um and at the moment, he's he's got the nod, and I suppose in some ways we 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 just have to we have to kind of accept that both of us think it's completely wrong. I, I'd have Grealish playing, every, you know, every, all day, every day for for Villa. He, he's a starter for me now, um, 
And it's not just from his Villa form, it's it's from, from that one game that he was given the chance to show uh, shine against Wales, he did it. And it's just, it seems very, very unfortunate that he didn't get another chance because Calvert-Lewin got his other chance against um, Belgium, didn't he? Well, he's been involved in the three games, if my memory serves me correctly, Calvert-Lewin, and again, deserves to be there, D- done very well for Everton and has done for a sustained period of time now. He, d- he deserves that chance. Could you not do uh, a written piece, Greg? comparing Jack Grealish's and Mason Mount and look at the defensive side of the game, whether he's quicker off the mark, is that is that not something you can do for the Athletic? Yeah, yeah, it's something I've been considering, actually. You know, there's a, there's a fair few things that I've been looking at on the back of, um, you know, Grealish's snub almost of, of, of not playing the last couple of games. So, yeah, um, you know, it's something I'll look a little bit deeper into and, and, and see if there are any similarities or any differences um, and anything that we can, you know, f- that can further... Uh, <laughs> boost our claim <laughs> but uh, but look I mean yeah we, we've, we've got to be a bit respectful for Tamount as well at the same time because you know yeah. he's, he's had a good couple of seasons now hasn't he? he's playing for Chelsea and, and Southgate does rightly point out that he's playing for a team that that's finished third in the Premier League and has gone on to win things um, you know maybe that does slightly make a difference although I do believe Grealish is very much a winner himself as well so look yeah. it feels like we're um, urinating into the wind to put it prayer uh, politely. Well, I've got two things off the back of, of what you've just said. The first one, which I think is going to be very interesting, is Ross Barkley was pretty much a starter for Southgate when, when fit. He was he was always picked. Obviously, he's at Chelsea, so bearing in mind what you've just said. Now he's playing again and he, he's fit playing for Villa. It'd be interesting to see what happens with him because then we really can start to think, is this a personal thing against people playing for Villa? Because I always think if someone's playing every week for a team like Villa or someone sitting on the bench for Chelsea like, like Barkley was pr- pretty much, you better stop picking a person for Villa because they're in form. And we saw last night, Harry Maguire is bang off form at the moment. He, I feel sorry for him. He needs taking out the firing line. And Tyro, again, it's turned into a Villa slash England podcast, but Tyro Mings is made to play on the left-hand side of a back three. You'd, you'd think he'd be the first pick there just because he, he's left-footed, he's athletic, he's in form, but it, it's Harry Maguire ends up playing there and him getting sent off has, has cost England that game. Other than Jack being left out, I think the big questions need to be asked about what Tyrone Mings has to do because I'm pretty sure he was one of the only ones not to get a start in that international break. Uh, yeah, difficult for Mings. I mean, he featured in both games, didn't he? He featured in two of the three games, I think, in the end. So, yeah. you know, he'll be, he'll be pleased with that. And I, th- I think he performed quite well in in both of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, really interesting. When I was watching the game on, on TV last night, all I could hear was Mings shouting. You know, it was just, just constantly the, the same barking orders that he, that he um, shouts at Villa. And it's all I could hear over the TV. So, you know, clearly he comes straight into the fold and, and, and was not overawed by it at all and, and just got straight uh, <clears throat> got stuck in and, and, and got involved but I think I think the whole Harry Maguire <clears throat> issue excuse me is, is is another wider issue isn't it you know it, it was probably possibly a game too many for him um, but on the other hand I can understand Southgate trying to build up his confidence again I think just from his Man United uh, form he really needed the international break he really needed yeah. those games to to go and to go and find his form again but it, it actually went the other way and um, disappointing for him it, it's a tough moment for him um, but I, I don't think Southgate's got anything against Villa look I think that's I think that would be um, 
I think he'd be a little bit foolish to say that. He picked Mings for the for the Bulgaria game, which was over a year ago. Uh, you know, which which, which showed that he, he has a, he has no issues but um, picking Villa players. And it'll be a really interesting year to see whether Ross Barkley gets back into the fold because, you know, there's a there's a there's a group of there's a small group of England players that get together. You know, Deli Ali, Ben Chilwell. Jack Grealish, James Madison, Ross Barkley, they're, they're all part of one one group. And the majority of them, I think if you ask them collectively who, who they think is the best player, I think a lot of them would pick Ross, you know. I think a lot of them do rate Barkley very highly. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, they really believe that he's a, that he's a great player and um, just stagnated a little bit, didn't he, at Chelsea? And I think the performance that he showed against Liverpool shows that maybe he could be he could get back to his best at Villa. And I'm really excited for, for both Villa and England because potentially you could see uh, an England team with, with Mings, Barkley and Grealish in it. Um, and, and and certainly certainly Barkley has come to Villa to, to prove his point and show that he can get back into the England setup. Yeah, I did need to do a little bit of a disclaimer because I actually like Gareth Southgate. There's a lot of Villa fans that, that don't like him and they give him a lot of stick. I actually have got a lot of time for him and I, I really, really like him. But I just feel that there's a lot of questions that are kind of Villa-based off, off, off the back of the England games that, that don't make sense to me. Obviously, Jack Grealish and having a left-footed centre-back playing on the left-hand side of a back three to me, that that's a no-brainer. But Gareth Southgate knows more about football than me. He definitely knows more about football than you. So we move on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You've done a piece this morning, Greg, that, that I've read. Ollie Watkins, really enjoyed it. Good piece. Tell us more. Yeah, really good to speak to quite a lot of people who have worked with Watkins in uh, in previous years, obviously for Exeter, uh, Brentford and now Villa. I, f- I found it really in- interesting that he's been pre- that Watkins has been prepared to work a lot harder than other people and that's what's given him the edge and where, you know, how, what's helped him get to where he is now. Um, the one really interesting part was how much detail he puts into um, coming up against opponents. You know, he, he okay, it's, it's pretty common that, you know, every club across the country will, will, do, a, will do an analysis of uh, opponents before a game. But Watkins likes to look at the defenders that he knows he'll be coming up against, tries to go back through all their old clips and find out if there's any weaknesses or any mistakes that they've made and then really try to play on that. Um, now, he was very respectful after the, the Liverpool game, you know, he didn't highlight the fact that, you know, he probably would have looked at Virgil van Dijk's and um, Joe Gomez's clips and, and, and maybe picked out areas where he thought he could get the better of them. He didn't go into any detail and say, oh yeah, I thought I could do this, this or this, because he's a very respectful, humble guy. But clearly he would have picked out weaknesses in their game. And, um, uh, you know, and as his performance showed, he got the better of it. Now, 
I'm not saying he's Mr. Perfect. He's not the best striker in the Premier League and, and every defence is walking, uh, running scared of him at the moment. But I, I think Villa are really onto something with him. I've, I think he's the real deal. I think that he's going to score a lot of goals for the club. I think these teammates are really enjoying playing alongside him because he's creating space for them. He's, he's, he's helping them flourish. And the fact that it's now, eight, you know, it's been 18 months since he's gone longer than three, go- uh, three games without a goal just, just shows his incredible consistency in front of the goal. And yeah, as I say, I, I think, you know, Villa have spent a lot of money on him, 28 million pounds, but I think over the years he'll prove to be good value for money. The interesting thing I took took from that was the the personal research that, that he does off off his own back and the, the way he thinks he can unsettle defenders. You'd think that every striker in the Premier League w- would do such things, but obviously it sounds like that that's not common. No, look, they do. They do. It's just Watkins takes a real, real keen interest in it. He will go above and beyond. He will. He will spend days, you know, hours. He'll know. He'll basically know every single defender inside out that he's coming up against, and. Speaking to the people that he knows well, you know, he, he he will explain what their game is like and that's why they believe he's been so successful in scoring so many goals because he not only works, he not only does the basics in training, he also does extras with um, coaches, but then also goes real deep into the analysis side and it just feels like he's the complete package almost. He, he, he could not be any more prepared going into a game and that's why he's getting his results. The other thing that inadvertently has happened is that Villa missing out on Malpai has obviously led to them getting getting Watkins the next the next season because Watkins has then ended up playing central striker for a season to replace Malpai's goals at Brentford. Villa have ended up getting him twelve months later in, in Watkins, and it feels like inadvertently missing out on Malpai might actually work really well for Villa in the long term. Possibly, I mean, yes and no. I, I really like Malpai as well, and I think that if Villa had got him last season, um, they could have had an even better season themselves. You know, they're interested in both of them last season. They could have potentially took both of them from, from Brentford and, you know, what where might they be now? But, um, yeah. yeah, I suppose you can look at it in two ways. Look, I think that um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was the best thing that happened to them, missing out on him. Um, but the fact that it's now allowed them to get Watkins is a, is a plus point as well. Um, I think you've just got to focus on the here and now, haven't you? You know, Watkins is a Villa striker, um, a very good Villa striker, as it seems. Um, and, and hopefully the future looks bright with him. But yeah, we, we can look at all different sort of permutations and what might have happened and what might not have. I mean, it is early days. I'm trying not to get too excited, but Watkins does look like a player that's absolutely built for the Premier League. And he just looks like a player that suits Villa and the way they want to play as well. So it's, it's a good marriage, isn't it? It looks like a real good blend, doesn't it? A real good mix. Um, and it, it just look, it, it helps massively the fact that you've got like the likes of McGinn, Barkley and Grealish alongside him. So, and, and Trezeguet, who's like, so hardworking. Those those front five almost um, are a real handful. And, and, and it's showing in these early games. And I think Leicester are going to find that out on Sunday that um, although they're... Although their forward line is, is very exciting, Villas is too, so it could be a really open game. How do you see the game on, on Sunday? It'll be a really interesting one. Obviously, West Ham have gone there recently and, and picked up a surprise result. There's no reason why Villa can't keep this train running, is there? No, not really. I, I do think Leicester will win on Sunday. Just got just got a feeling. Um, Here he is. Here he is. Yeah, just, just just got a feeling with you know a fresh father having a you know a week or so off. I think that he'll cause a lot of problems. Um, Barnes didn't really get on for England, did he? Either I think they'll all be chomping no. at the bit, and I, I don't know. If 
Leicester are a funny side. They've smashed Man City and then obviously lost to, to West Ham. So it's hard to judge them at the moment. But if I was a betting man, I'd pick Leicester on Sunday. I see a draw, if I'm going to be honest. It's, I don't think obviously Villa are going to go and beat every team that they play every week. But I can certainly see us going there and getting a point. And even though obviously we beat the best team in the country 7-2, a point away at Leicester is still a fantastic result. And that really consolidates a good start for Villa and I can see I think we'll go there and, and cause them problems I, I'm a bit of, the, bit of the opposite to you I, it's a dangerous thing for me to say on a podcast I can't see Leicester beating us I'm going to come to regret that I'm sure I'm the, I'm the, I'm the opposite well, one, of us are, one of us probably know, yeah. one of us has got it wrong everyone hopes that I'm correct the good thing is I suppose at least one of us will be right for a change so that, that'll be a good thing but I, I can't I've got, I think we'll go there and get something I felt, I felt the same about Liverpool I felt that we'd get something and I feel the same going to Leicester I think everyone's going to be buzzing still after, after that 7-2 Jack's going to be wanting to go out there and prove a point Barkley's settling in and wants to make a good impression I, I fancy us Greg yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't fancy Villa. I just think Leicester will have the edge. I don't know. It's just one of the. It's just a hunch, really. I suppose. I just feel like Vardy's just caused so many problems to Villa over the years. I just find. I just think sometimes there are individual players that really get the better of teams, and um, you know the fact that he's coming up against Villa uh, again. I'm, I'm just a bit concerned about it. That's all. Um, we're but a different look. base now, though, Greg. We, we can defend now. We, we couldn't defend the last few times we've, play, we've played against Leicester and Vardy now. Now <laughs> we can true. defend. True, true. And I've wrote a story for, for Friday, actually, just, just praising Dean Smith on that, saying, um, you know, that the fact that the last game before the lockdown was that 4-0 defeat at Leicester. And look at the team that are going there now. I mean, it is a completely different team. Completely. Com- just, you know, they were downtrodden defeated um, everybody in the country thought they were getting relegated and and, and now they go there um, tomorrow potentially if Everton don't get a result against Leicester uh, if Everton lose against Liverpool potentially knowing that a winner put them top of the Premier League which what an incredible um, uh, you know what an incredible achievement that would be with a game in hand as well I've come out. you saying that just, you saying that has completely made me change my mind we're going we're gonna to get beat because that is just too that is just too good for Villa that doesn't sound like something that something nice that can happen to Villa so yeah you've completely changed my mind with that fact now and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other I don't get it let me put it in pigeon terms it's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place how am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite visit directtv.com requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV terms and restrictions apply what else have you been writing? Because you, you had a piece out earlier in the week about the, the ownership of Villa and something that nearly happened. We've got an interview coming up with Howard Hodgson in a couple of minutes. But yeah, do you just want to go into some detail about that before we play it? Yeah, so obviously, you know, Villa's owners, Nassif Suarez and Wes Edens have done everything right so far since coming into the club. But if, if you think back to a few years back, you know, the, there was a, there was real uncertainty and instability at the club. Randy Lerner wanted to get rid of the club for so long. He had it on the market for two or three years. Um, and in 2015, in the summer of just before Villa were, were relegated, Howard Hodson, who many Villa fans will know as he's t- uh, from his time on this, uh, as the director of the Supporters Trust, um, he pulled together a consortium and was actually interested in buying the club. And they had a, they had a £150 million bid accepted um, by Randy Lerner. But then 
Lerner changed his mind um, right at the 11th hour and uh, and decided to give it another season in charge. And obviously what followed was that fatal uh, relegation season where Villa finished the Premier League with 17 points. They rock bottom, got relegated um, and, uh, and Lerner ended up selling it on selling Villa for 75 million, just half the price um, to Tony Shari uh, later. So really interesting to, to speak to Howard about that time and and just um, how close he came to to uh, to taking over at the club. And what pleased me the most was to hear him speaking as a fan as well after and saying that he's really happy with Edens and Suarez now and what they're doing for the club. So yeah, a really interesting pod ahead. Well, let's hear from Howard now. And Greg started off by asking him how close he actually came to buying the club. It was accepted. I mean, that's why we got uh, to sign NDAs. That's why we got to, uh, to to go into the data room and do full due diligence on the club. I mean, you know, I got to see every little detail of every transfer and every every bit of land that the club owns and uh, etc. And, and the full state of play in, in, in the full you know, uh, finances of the football club. And in fairness to Lerner, despite, you know, really contributing a lot to where the problems that we have now in terms of his sort of disinterest in his last few years as owner, you have to give him a lot of credit for the fact that he never lumbered the club with any debt. He never put the club into any sort of trouble. Um, you know, he, he took it all on the chin himself. It's really interesting just for some of our listeners and, and for me and Dan, who, who don't really know too much about what goes on when you know, a consortium, so to speak, puts together a proposal and tries to take over a football club. So can you just talk us through the steps, you know, that you had to take and, and just give us a few more details of those inner yeah. workings? Yeah, so basically, first of all, you declare an interest with the, with the, sell, with the selling agent, which was Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Um, and uh, so we made contact with Peter Bell, who was handling it. Um, he then um, wanted to know some details about our interest and who, who was behind it, etc. We provided that. We then get an appointment to see him in, uh, in their offices in London, in the city. Um, we have a good, a good meeting with him. He wants to find out a bit more details. The next thing that he wants to know about is the, he, he obviously tells us what Randy wants for the club. He, and there was, he wanted 150 million. And also there was, um, an overdraft facility that, uh, that we would inherit as well. So I say the club had no debt. There was a little bit of debt. It was, it was fully within a limit, but, um, there was there was um, there was that that you'd have to inherit on top. So then he um, they what they want then is to see proof proof of funds to make sure you're not wasting their time etc. Um, uh, which you know is totally understandable. Um, so so that that's provided. And once you do that, um, I remember the work we weren't alone. There was at this stage there were other interested parties as well. So they kept saying you need to move fast because there are other parties further down the road than you. So we never got an exclusivity arrangement, which was what some parties ask for in that situation. But um, what I would say is that um, he said when we when we signed the NDAs, which is the non-disclosure agreements, um, that uh, once we got into the data room and if we could move it on as quickly as we could and you know it's a big transaction and 
due diligence is going to take some time. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of work to do there. So, so at that point, we're there ready to um, to proceed. Um, and so it came as a nasty shock to us when Mr. Lerner not. We always thought we may, we we may lose to another bidder, um, but in effect, what he did was he just pulled the plug and said. Um, and just decided not to sell, which um, which was really bizarre considering he'd had it on the market, um, you know, for a good two years before that. So I'm not sure what why he did that, but um, he clearly thought that um, he could possibly have another decent season in the Premier League with his new sort of management team and uh, and hopefully then possibly sell it for significantly more the following year but as you as we know it went the other way and he ended up only getting half of that yeah just two things on that then when when tony shaw eventually did take over how how did you feel um because you know that that could have been yourself as part yeah and and also and also when when tony sold in the end in 2018 were you ever in the mix for that as well did you ever yeah so answer to both those i wouldn't be human if i wasn't a bit jealous when he bought it in 2016 yeah i was gutted um but um, I was also more gutted that we'd got 17 points, you know, <laughs> and, and had gone down with such a whimper. Um, and, and what a state we were in, you know, because the club really was in a disastrous state by that point. Um, so I don't think you can ever underestimate what um, Tony Shear inherited. It was it was a very poisonous club at that point. Um, so, and I think to be fair to Bruce, actually, if he did nothing else, he did put it back on its feet a little bit. You know, it could have done a Sunderland. It could have easily gone through again, um, the way, the, the state it was in. Um, so, um, so yes, I was, I was, you know, and, and I did try and contact him and say, look, you know, I've, 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 if you want me to, to get involved with you, I'd, I'd love to. 2018 when he sold again yeah I was quite heavily involved actually um, because I got a phone call from Ho you remember yes. uh, Ron, Ron John his assistant uh, yeah, yeah um, saying um, uh, can you lend us two million quid and I was oh, wow. like um, <laughs> blimey I said that's pretty desperate what the hell what for and he said well if we don't pay HMRC two million quid today we're being wound up and I said, but, well, why? I mean, what, what's two, two million quid? I mean, what, what's the significance of two million quid? He said, oh, well, that's just like an interim payment to get us through to next month. I said, Jesus. I said, you know, what the hell is going on? And he said, well, we're basically bankrupt. Um, the, the, the club account, the, you know, the, the bank accounts are empty. Um, we, were, we were fully reliant on winning that uh, playoff final match. This was literally three or four days after we'd lost to Fulham. Um, and I was like, Jesus, I can't believe this. Aston Villa, this huge football club, that, you know, this club that I'd done all that due diligence on only a couple of years ago, a year ago. Um, uh, no, it was it was a couple of years, wasn't it? Two, three years um, earlier. Um, can't be, can't be have got into that sort of state. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, we have been spending well beyond our means. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the wage bill was very high for, for a second-tier football club by this point. Um, and if, if the owner wasn't able to, to keep um, 
plowing in the money to keep it afloat, which is basically what Randy had been doing for years. And that was based on Premier League income. Um, then, then yeah, you can see why that would happen. And so Aston Villa, the cash flow just dried up. The wage bill was constant, consistently dragging money out of the business, and there was no, there was not enough, nowhere near enough money flowing back in to to make it a solvent business. So um, yeah, they they literally got to to the point where they were they were bankrupt. So they asked me for the loan. I said no because uh, you know I knew. They said, oh well, Doug lend it to us. Doug was still alive then, and I said, I doubt it. You can ask him, but I said, you know, not without a proper plan because we're just going to see two million go, you know, slip through our fingers in two seconds flat. Um, and uh, I said. You know, it sounds like you urgently need either to sell half the club or, or sell a, a significant stake in it, or you need a takeover. Um, and and as we know, that's what happened. So, so I went about trying to find a new buyer for the club, and I did have actually a new consortium sorted out. Um, but when Suarez and Edens came along, they just blew everybody else out of the water. And as a fan, I was quite happy with that because, you know, they 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 were so financially fantastically secure and um you know it's you know just you know billion proper billionaires you know and uh they they have obviously grand plans for the club and, and they had the sort of deep pockets it was going to need because it was in such a bad way by then it had you know mortgaged properties and all sorts of things that um it really needed that level of wealth I wouldn't have, I was far less excited to take it on then than I was in 15 because it would have been it would have been hard work just to keep it afloat because it was it was drowning in debt. Greg fascinating to hear from Howard he, he's certainly not your average Villa fan when he, when he talks about pulling together consortiums and stuff like that he, he makes it sound so easy which which obviously it's not but yeah fascinating to hear from you. Yeah re- really detailed insight into just what it's like to to potentially take over a club and some of the stages that you have to go to it's just, just something that we, we never really would know is it as just you know supporters and uh, and reporters makes you realise how bad it was back then as well doesn't it we, we've spoke about this on a few pods before but Villa were really on their knees at that point, weren't they? And the fact that they were so close to administration, um, you know, in 2018, where, where Howard mentions towards the end of the interview there. But just when he was taking them over, when, when he wanted to take them over, it's interesting really to think of, you know, imagine if, 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 if that consortium had got the go ahead, would things have been different in 2015, 16? You, you just don't know, do you, sir? Really, really interesting to find out and, uh, you know, nice to hear Howard talking so positively about the, the current owners at the end there as well. Yeah, because it makes you realise how lucky we are as well because you, you don't, you just, you know, owners like that just don't don't come along every day, especially when a club's on its knees, as you say. It's, it's amazing that we're now in the position that we're in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, you know, Howard's a very successful businessman as well, but you know, deep down, he's, he's a huge Villa fan as well. So he just wants yeah. the best for the club. The fact that he was just trying to take, you know, pull together a consortium to take over the club was just fueled, but partly by his love for the club, wasn't it? And you know, he, he's as happy as most other Villa fans are at the moment that it's all going to plan. And um, let's just hope it continues because it feels like we haven't had a period like this for a long time. Yeah, a bit upset that he didn't come to me. When he was putting together his consortium, I could have put 20 quid maybe in to help things along, but no, I'm presuming he didn't come to you either. Sadly not, Dan. No, I mean, <laughs> I could have put maybe 15, so that's probably oh, okay. why. 
yeah, we're probably not quite in the in the league that, that Villa needed at the time. But yeah, great interview, great to hear from him. He's he's a top bloke. I would have I've spoken to him a few times. He's he's a really good guy, and maybe one day we will see a fan involved at board level with Villa. It would certainly be fascinating if that did ever happen, wouldn't it? Get saving, mate. Yeah, I will be here a long time. I don't think it's going to be me, mate. <laughs> no, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to see it to see it, you know a genuine supporter on the board because um, you just wonder whether it'd be a good thing or not, didn't it? You know, it could go both ways, but yeah, that's, yeah. that might be one for the future. Maybe wonder. 